Vietnam. Vietnam Peace Declaration or Vietnam War Continuation, one congressman says that he hopes that other legislators will join him in boycotting President Nixon's inaugural. Representative John Siebeling, Ohio Democrat, explained... I certainly am not going to attend the inauguration or any of the festivities, and I am almost certain that up to 200 members of Congress will also refrain from showing their support of the president by just not showing up. Is that uh, uh, a guess, or uh, have you talked to many of these? Uh... That's a conservative guess. I uh, talked to a number of... ...thousand shares. The losers far outnumbering the gainers, 1194 to 322, 296 unchanged. Dow Jones Industrials down 14.07 at 1,004.59. Transportation down 2.94. Utilities down 0.67. The price of an average big board common share dropped 60 cents. At the American Exchange, the sales were 4,301,000 shares. Losers ahead of gainers, 706 to 245, 287 unchanged. Amex index down 1.7. The WOR Weather Watch Update for New York City and vicinity. Clear and colder tonight, lows around 30. Tomorrow, sunny, highs in the mid-40s. Fair and not as cold tomorrow night, lows in the upper 30s. Friday, fair and mild, the highs 50 to 55. Current temperature, 35 degrees. Humidity, 52%. Winds are west at 11 miles an hour, gusting to 26. And the barometer, 29.93 inches and rising. These highlights in the news at this hour... Federal judge in Watergate bugging trial denounces defendants and the Republican leadership for taking the law into their own hands. First American POWs held in North Vietnam may... Vice President and General Manager Herb Saltzman. The state legislature this year has a chance to do something about the sorry state of the court system in New York. New Yorkers, however, must not be content to hope lawmakers will make necessary changes. Last year's legislature let a number of important court reforms die. This year we must pressure our representatives in Albany to back reforms that would, one, abolish the antiquated grand jury system, two, abolish the system in which politicians make private arrangements to decide who will sit on the bench, three, establish a speedy trial rule and four, call for state financing of the courts. The grand jury system is expensive and time-consuming. A judge could certainly perform the functions of a grand jury more efficiently. Judges should be appointed by the governor and the mayor from lists of qualified persons nominated by experts in the field of jurisprudence. A speedy trial rule would end the practice in which the innocent as well as the guilty wait up to two years before going to trial. State financing of the courts would ensure that the system of justice would be adequately and equitably financed. The people of New York must tell the lawmakers of this state that now is the time for meaningful reforms in the state's judicial system. This has been a WR 710 editorial. I'm Herb Salzman. WOR will consider making time available to responsible spokesmen with views differing from this station.
test. Jerry, you realize, of course... That's much more civilized. Yes, hello, Tess. That's certainly befitting a night when we're saluting crime. Yes, sir. <laughs> How are you, gang? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, for those of you who are not living in the New York area and maybe listening to this uh, scene tonight, uh, this is a chief here, and uh, you probably are not aware of the fact that uh, here on the station for 24 hours now we've been talking about crime, which is not unusual in New York, by the way. Uh, some people talk about crime maybe 24 hours a day, seven days a week, maybe eight, nine, ten weeks in a stretch. But uh, here in New York, uh, the, the station is doing a little uh, 24-hour thing about crime. Now, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, kind of axiomatic here. I hate to say this, but uh, speaking of crime, I have a terrible urge to uh, tonight play the Jews harp, which I will uh, suppress. I mean, uh, <laughs> it ain't easy. I, but I really do. I have a, a terrible urge. Now, come on, you guys. Quit arguing out there. Let's get with the show here. You discuss the technicalities afterwards, okay? Yes, indeed. All right, here we are. It's like the other day. I'm watching a, I'm watching a hockey game, and the... the uh, the manager is sitting on the bench, and he's having a long, involved discussion with what looked like his insurance man, a guy in a, in a brown suit with a necktie, you know, and his uh, old-fashioned neckties. And while he was having this discussion, three goals were scored against his team. And he looked up and kind of looked bugged when he saw the scoreboard. So <laughs> I would suggest that uh, you listen to what's going on here, and we'll discuss uh, the problems later. Don't worry about the calls. We won't... We went. To, this is not a telephone show here, and uh, this is me. And uh, as a working monologist, I'm not a phone type. Incidentally, you know, since this is crime night here on the station, uh, crime and criminal justice. Now they're not necessarily allied, is what the full title of the show is. Uh, you know, they're not my show, but the whole thing we're doing here on the station: crime and criminal justice. Now, they should also include victims in that. I don't see victims included in that list. Crime, criminal justice, and victims, which would be kind of a nice little thing to throw in there. But that's not often discussed these days. I guess being a victim of a crime today is like, you know, like getting caught in a rainstorm or, or a snow or something. You're just a, you know, pitiful victim of nature, but uh, not necessarily uh, to be... To be uh, no, to be pitied, really, because it's an it's a it's a fact of life. You know, speaking of uh, of crime, as long as we're going to do it tonight, uh, gee, that tempted me to do two commercials here. 
but I won't. <laughs> but uh, you know, the the, uh, the the ripoff, of course, is is almost a way of life today. Uh, curiously enough, in this day of of, of rising uh, pseudo morality, uh, nobody's talked about that. I'm sure on the station today. But there, if you if you uh, are, have been keeping up with the with the uh, social history of our time, the last decade or so, there's been a rising cry of a kind of uh, button pop morality which is quite different from morality. Has anyone pointed that out lately? That pop morality is like pop songs. It sounds great. Uh, <laughs> it's like Eddie Fisher singing a religious song at uh, the Thunderbird in, uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, somehow, it's pop morality. It has very little to do with morality. And uh, this is the kind of thing that, uh, that I think has been rising constantly. As a matter of fact... Uh, just last night, I talked to a guy. That I, I was interviewed by a radio station in Houston where they called me up and we were talking for two hours on the phone. You know, that's a whole new thing. Hey, what's going on with you guys in there? Come on, stay with us here. Come on, please. Uh, for the uh, last, uh, for, that's a whole new thing these days is radio stations calling up each other and interviewing each other, curiously enough, on the phone. And I was interviewed for two hours last night on a Houston station, and among other things that came up, he pointed out that recently, in fact, last week, uh, there was a fascinating little development in uh, Houston, and it was a uh, there was a, a coalition of all the peace groups got together, and as you know, the peace groups today are in terrible uh, disarray because of the onslaught of peace. It's caused great confusion among various peace groups. As a matter of fact, the first thing that hit me uh, about this, you know, this new peace thing that's just hit is that the, it's really wreaked havoc with the peace sign industry. As you know, uh, uh, peace signs, you know, the little sign to the circle with the little thing in it there, yeah. Uh, whether you can buy earrings, you can buy cufflinks, you can buy turtles with it painted on the back, you can buy sweatshirts and bath mats and I wonder what's going to happen to that industry I mean it's uh, it's in terrible disarray but nevertheless in uh, in Houston last night a couple nights ago the peace groups got together and they were uh, they were discussing what they're going to do now now that uh, you know peace has occurred it's a terrible situation so in the middle of the discussion a fist fight broke out and it turns out that at least three of the peace groups had arrived at this meeting, this tremendous group of people, uh, carrying uh, what appeared to be deadly weapons. And they fought for about 20 minutes until finally the police arrived, and four or five of them were taken to the hospital. One guy seriously injured, which, uh, which again illustrates the... And by the way, they were all wearing love buttons and, and doves and one thing and another all over them, which again illustrates my point of the pop morality which doesn't have much to do with the real thing uh, in other words it's one thing to have a button that says peace and love on it and another to be actively involved in being those things peaceful and lovely uh, it's uh, two different things and pop morality has to do with the buttons and the sweatshirts and the t-shirts and the movements and the groups and the speakers and pop uh, politicians and all the rest of it and so that's part and parcel of our crime problem today too Last night, as a matter of fact, uh, I, I was uh, curiously enough snowbound. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Uh, 
but I was. I was up in Maine, and so I decided to, to since I had no other choice, I was in a cabin with snow up to the roof. I watched television, and uh, I was I was a, I was just it hit me about halfway through a, a film by Richard Boone that I had never seen in one night more shooting, more violence on television in my life. In other words, even with the growing idea that there's supposed to be a new morality and new sensitivity, the reality seems to be the opposite. In other words, the, the, uh, the, the violence... I would say in this one film, you might have seen it last night with Leslie Caron, I suspect that Richard Boone did away with at least 15 people in the first uh, three reels. Uh, I mean, blasting him with, uh, with, with everything from a 44 uh, uh, Colt uh, Plainsman to, uh, to rocks and uh, killing him, leaving a trail of dead bodies behind him as he walked. Now, the, the difference that I find in the kind of killing you see on television today and what you used to see just a few years ago is that the, that the, 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 the contrast, the, the clash that occurred, say in the classical western of a few years ago, was between good and evil. One man faced another man. One represented evil, the other represented good. Uh, it was a kind of a morality play with uh, Gary Cooper as the as the epitome of good, and Jack Palance would come out of the silver dollar with his, with his uh, black costume and his black hat and his evil look. And these two men faced each other. And they did clearly represent good and evil. Uh, naturally, uh, since it was a fable, good always won. But when good won, he did so with sorrow. If you recall all those great films, uh, Gary Cooper would walk away with a grim look that he hated to do what he had to do. Well, in the current films, not so. Clint Eastwood or, or Richard Boone kill with positive glee. <laughs> I mean, they love it. <laughs> they enjoy it. And they don't represent good. That's an interesting fact of it. They represent a pragmatist who has arrived on the scene to steal the money from X, who is an evil guy who has stolen, stolen the money from Y, who is now dead. And so you have two thugs fighting it out for the money, or the, the gold, or the fistful of dollars, or whatever it might be. And the killing is always done with such glee, and such ease, and such fun. And more than that, it seems to be the solution of the problem. Uh, it, uh, so, so I think that, that this business of crime and, and uh, criminal justice is much more complicated than to, to clean up the situation at Attica, or to... <laughs> or to uh, uh, give a, uh, an insurance policy to victims. Uh, this is, incidentally, WOR New York. And uh, while we're on this subject, we have here, uh, let's see, we have a couple of uh, spots here. How about uh, the House of Chan? Yeah, we'll talk about the House of Chan, you know. And, uh, and, uh, and, and everybody here who lives in New York has a few little islands that he retreats to occasionally to get away from the, the uh, brouhaha outside. And one of my favorites is the House of Chan. If, uh, it's, it's been, it, in fact, I've been going to the House of Chan since I arrived in New York some time ago. And uh, <laughs> I think I told a story about that, about the guy that I knew who was working. And I wasn't working. And uh, he took me to the House of Chan. And I've always had a great feeling of warmth for the House of Chan. It always seemed to me a place where all the guys that are making it go. 
Merely, <laughs> merely because I was with one guy who was. And uh, it's at 52nd and 7th, in the, right in the heart of Manhattan. It's a fine Chinese restaurant, excellent food. And they have a nice bar. And Mr. Chan is an elegant man. And uh, they're open seven days a week, and they're open till midnight. And if you're in a hurry, if you come in, you know, and you want to catch a curtain or something, you tell them, and they'll get one of their 22 chefs to hurry up with the walk there and uh, produce a meal fast. But it's all fine food and excellent prices, and you'll enjoy it. The House of Chan, 52nd and 7th. Okay? And uh, we have another little ding-a-ling. Uh, oh, it's a, it's a it's a Wingate promo. Well, does Mr. Wingate promote Shepard? I'm curious. Well, I don't know. This is a, usually a unilateral operation. So we will promote Mr. Wingate right now. Lou Stadlin, the young actor, currently star of the Broadway hit The Sunshine Boys, once played Groucho Marx in a smash Broadway play. This is John Wingate. My guest tomorrow at 3.15, Lou Stadlin, imitating Groucho Marx, a bright, serious, funny man. Age 25, with a great Broadway career. Wingate, afternoon drive time, 3.15 tomorrow, WOR. By the way, I was kidding about John, because John does. Uh, John's a digger, and you know. I like John. Yes, sir. He, you know, he's one of about a uh, hundred people I know in this business, and there are not many of them. He's one of about two or three out of a hundred who is a digger. He really loves doing what he does. <laughs> he gets a maniacal look on his face when he's working. But uh, that's John Wingate. Now, let's see. Let's get back to work here, you know, talking about crime and criminal justice. I don't think there's anybody in New York who has lived here any length of time who has not been uh, uh, victimized at least once by a crime. It's difficult to... And incidentally, let's, let's make it very clear, as Mr. Nixon so often and irritatingly says... Uh, let us make it so very clear that this is not a New York phenomena, contrary to popular mythology today. Uh, it should be pointed out, I don't know whether it has been today or not, but New York ranks, according to the least, uh, according to, excuse me, the recent statistics, it ranks about 14th in the, in the nation as far as incidence of crime is concerned. Did you know that, Bill? It ranks about 14th. Now, that doesn't mean that it is 14th in the number of crimes committed. Uh, it is 14th uh, in what they call the incidence of crime per capita, per population, per person. In other words, there are 14 or 13 other cities in America where the chances of the individual citizen being victimized by a crime is greater than in New York. So that uh, that doesn't help you much if you've been mugged recently. <laughs> it certainly doesn't. And, uh, but nevertheless, this is a fact, and it should be pointed out, and I'm pointing it out myself right now. Uh, the, one of the, the, the leading city, by the way, according to the most recent 1972 statistics that were just released around the first of the year, did you know this one, Skip? The city that leads America in the incidence of crime to the average walking citizen is Miami, Florida. Number one. Uh, would surprise you, but it is. Uh, way up near the top, probably second or third, is San Francisco. It's another high uh, incident. So in fact, uh, I was talking to, a, to a, uh, a guy out in San Francisco here last, uh, last fall a uh, radio guy out there, and he said that in his own radio station, 
in, in the station, there have been two robberies occur right within the station at gunpoint and one mugging. And in fact, the mugging occurred when the guy was on the air. <laughs> Which is kind of exotic. Can you imagine somebody walking right on the stage and mugging Johnny Carson? <laughs> that's in effect what happened. That uh, so that's San Francisco. I haven't heard of that happening in New York, but that doesn't mean it won't. But uh, these are facts of crime. Uh, I've had my various apartments. I've lived in different parts of the city over the past years, and I've been uh, robbed two or three times. Uh, and you kind of expect that. In fact, when, when the detective uh, uh, arrived one time, he just simply said, that, well, it's uh, obviously a junkie. He said, I can tell by what he's taken. He says, it's a junkie. He said, uh, the chances of catching him are practically zero. He said, do you have the serial numbers of your stuff? And, of course, most people don't have serial numbers of their various things. Around. Do you have the serial numbers of your newest jockey shorts around, do you, friend? I don't know. And uh, But nevertheless, uh, he said, do you have these things? And so uh, I said, well, I did. I had a couple of the serial numbers. And that's the last I ever heard of it. I never heard another thing, except that my insurance rates were raised. <laughs> it was another additional ripoff that occurred. Um, in in fact, in, in New York today, a lot of people don't do not report a crime. Uh, that occurs, unless it's really a major one, I'm talking about robberies, because they're afraid of the insurance problem. Uh, I know many guys who have cars who, if, if somebody rips the radio out of the car and takes a seat out or something like that, he doesn't even say anything about it, because if he does, he'll wind up uh, six or seven months later with higher insurance rates until, if it happens again, and uh, maybe he'll even be uh, canceled. So he's, he's in real trouble then. So a lot of people just take the loss and walk on. So there's no way of knowing, really, in a city like New York, how many crimes actually do happen. That's where I take the issue with statistics. The statistics, of course, only report crimes that are reported. But there's no way for them to know uh, that you've been robbed four times. People have stolen your garbage can four times <laughs> from the back of your house. And you finally just say, to hell with it, I'll throw it out the window, you know, and the garbage flies out. So you don't even report it. So... Crime is a complex issue in a city like New York. I've lived in the city now a, a, a large percentage of my adult life, right in Center City, which is not the same as living in in Queens or in the uh, Bayside or in the uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. Center City is another story, and I I've seen almost hardly a, a night goes by, but what you don't hear the sound as you go up and down the street in a cab, maybe one o'clock in the morning, midnight. You hear the sound of of a, uh, a, a burglar alarm going off. You just hear the sound of the siren. Nobody pays any attention because many of them are just false alarms. Many, not all, but many. So life in New York is a, is a nip and tuck affair. And as it is in almost every major urban uh, center in the world today, not just America, it's in the world. As a matter of fact, there's been a tremendous upsurge of violent crimes in London and throughout uh, in fact, throughout England, uh, there's been an enormous increase in crime in, in Rome. In fact, in Rome, at one point, they even came to the point they were almost going to call martial law. Did you know that? Crime got so rough last year. <clears throat> you know, I don't know what the story is right now, but this is just recently. 
And so crime seems to be uh, not necessarily an American thing or a New York thing. It seems to be part of, well, the mid, uh, uh, the last third of the 20th century. It's just part of it. Just as, you know, it's funny. Back in other days of increasing barbarism, uh, back in the days of, uh, of uh, the great days of Attila the Hun and various other exciting times in history, they didn't consider that crime. It was just the way life was. Uh, back in, in certain periods in the Dark Ages, uh, a man's life was, was uh, just out like a candle. He would walk out of the house to feed the sheep, and four robbers would fall upon him, and he would be dead. A lot of this is reflected in the literature of the period. Uh, uh, even such things as Boccaccio just casually, glancingly refers to robbers constantly, highwaymen continually. What do you think Robin Hood was? Uh, and, and so crime uh, has had its ups and downs. There's been periods of great, of great uh, loose uh, morality and crime and violence. And then for some reason, and nobody quite knows why, it goes on the wane. And man, again, looks like he may be civilized. This is for a short, usually a short period of time. And then it, it begins again. Uh, there have been some philosophers who've said that it, 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 it follows periods of war. Uh, there is some evidence that that may be true, certainly in the last hundred years. But uh, that would be kind of a specious argument, I think, since we're almost always just in a post-war period. Uh, war, <laughs> this is the history of man. So that, uh, to me, is, a, is somewhat a, a questionable argument. I, ju I just think that crime is uh, is part of uh, man's nature, and that's the way it is. Now, tonight, uh, I, have a, I have an interesting idea tonight. Uh, since uh, probably a p people have been getting calls uh, today, you know, we have a telephone at our disposal here. Is there is there any cop listening to us tonight? Are there anybody in any of the precincts tonight? Uh, generally, we get a call occasionally from a precinct. Is there anybody in any of the precincts listening tonight and would like to contribute to our our uh, discussing of crime here? By the way, if you are, and that's the only one I want to call. I don't want any kid to call to have me uh, sing uh, The Bear Mr. Train tonight. Our uh, lady said, oh, dear Mr. Shepard, would you tell a story about your mother? She must have been a wonderful woman. <laughs> My mother is not in the past tense. She's very much alive, and as a matter of fact, is right now on the island of Barbados having a hell of a time, in case you're curious. But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> uh, if there's anybody uh, who is, uh, you know, anybody working in one of the precincts today, right now, uh, one of the uh, uh, sergeant or somebody on duty or a cop or somebody who's out walking around, give us a call. It's 354 is our number, 354 9044. I have some. I, I won't use your name on the air, of course. We've watched Adam 12 a great deal, and we know all this all the protocol. And uh, interesting problem, though, uh, crime in New York. I, I uh, here, here we see, see what we've got there, Jerry. A couple of calls are coming in from the boys. A lot of, uh, in case you're curious, a lot of the. Uh, a lot of the boys working in precincts around town listen to us every night. And, uh, yeah, number one. Okay, we'll see who's on. Yeah, hi. Yeah, hi. I'm a policeman. I'm a patrolman in the 7-5 uh, precinct. 7-5? Uh, yeah. Right. Are you off duty right now? Yeah, I'm off duty. You're just hanging around listening. Yeah, that's what I'm doing, yeah. 
<laughs> How long you been with the force? Well, I've been with the force for 17 years. 17? You're an old-timer. So I'm of the opinion that uh, crime, I think crime can be dealt with. I, I think it can be dealt with if the social ills are eliminated to a great extent. Yeah, that's true, but uh, that, uh, you know, that's been said for 2,000 years. Well, I think man's history, history is very brief. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, we really haven't, uh, I think, you know, we've been exploiting one another for so long that we don't even know if we can find a true uh, peace in this world. Yeah, yeah that's right. I, I, I have to agree with you there that uh, it's just a, a curious scene. Does it seem to be getting any better in your precinct? Well, I, I'm not an expert on, you know, I, I, I imagine things are about the same because... A lot of things bugging people, you know, poverty amongst blacks, Puerto Ricans, even poor whites. There are many people who seem discontented with their lifestyles. Even people who are making very good living seem unhappy about how they are living, you know. Yeah. And then many of us complain that the uh, so-called rich families are making a lot of money at the expense of poor people. Yeah, but of course, and uh, you you know what uh, has just been recently happening in uh, in Moscow. They've had a fantastic rise in the last five years of violent crime and particularly robberies. So, you know, I don't know whether or not... Uh, I'm, I'm beginning to question in my own mind whether it's related to uh, that idea. You know, there's been an idea around for thousands of years that's called the economic theory of crime. If everybody has enough, then nobody's going to be, you know, have the desire to go and take it away from somebody else. But I'm not so sure this is true. I don't want to sound like a love child. I'm not talking in terms of... No, I, I know you're not. I mean in terms of uh, being happy. You know, like the black people say, love yourself in a sense. You know, that black is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And if, I think if people learn to uh, could appreciate themselves a little more and appreciate their neighbors, I think a lot of our problems might slowly evaporate. Yeah, well, of course, this is what Christ said. <laughs> basically, well, I guess I'm basically a Christian. Yeah, he said, uh, we've had trouble, though, uh, people living that. They talk a lot, you know. There's a lot of people walk around with love buttons, mm -hmm. but they carry a thirty-eight in their back pocket. That's true. And it's a tough scene. Uh, do you like being a cop? Yes, I think it's a, it's a very good profession. Totally. It's un underrated. Well, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I can't think of anything more important. Because uh, uh, you, you have to combine a psychologist, a social worker, and... Uh, even a bit of a priest, right? Yeah, a lot of things. I, I imagine mostly it's uh, being humane. You have the authority. You're an ultimate authority in the street. You represent the people. Yeah. And it's your job to, to work in their service. And uh, being wearing a uniform and having the authority makes, makes it a lot easier to help people. Well, you sound like uh, what they call in the precinct the good cop. Most of the cops are good cops. I agree with that, absolutely. I've always found that to be true. Once in a while, you know, you run into one, but... Boy, that's so rare. And, and, of course, unfortunately, whenever that is, whenever that happens, everybody makes a big issue of it. Yeah. But uh, you're in the 75th Precinct. Right. Where is that? That's on Liberty and Miller in Brooklyn. Oh, sure. Yeah, I know where that is. Well, good luck, officer. Thank you very much. And hang loose. Bye now. Okay. Now, let's see. We got another one on three. Isn't that interesting? Was... Yeah, hi. Uh, hi, Shep. Uh, I wanted to bring out the fact that... Uh, Excuse me, one thing at first. Uh, what precinct do you work at? Well, I'm a detective, Shep, and I'd rather just leave it at that. I, I have, see. I uh, have 20 years of uh, this kind of work, and I've made the neighborhood of about a thousand of us personally, and I've uh, directly contributed to assisting in another 5,000. Mm. So I have some experience to, to draw from. Yeah. And uh, one point that I'd like to make that uh, you could have... Uh, you would, Probably you didn't notice, but... 
Uh, in New York here, we've had uh, 1,700 homicides this past year, and in the nation, we had 17,000. So that represents 10% of the homicides in the nation, although the, the population ratio is only one-fourth, uh, being 8 million as opposed to 200 million in the, in the entire country. So this is another type of figure if you want to look at. Another thing, too, uh, with all the trouble in Ireland, they had the uh, homicides there from the bombings and the shootings to the tune of about 660 so in the past three years. While in Manhattan alone, we've had uh, close to 900 this past year. So this gives you an idea of the amount of violence. Uh, and uh, it, and uh, ironically, it's mostly with these small caliber guns, which is uh, which I can't speak against strongly enough. And uh, uh, every cop that is really seasoned knows that uh, uh, guns are a bad, bad thing. I personally, uh, I'm opposed to them. A lot of, a lot of fellas are hunters in this job, and uh, they're the kind of men that like uh, uh, to go hunting, and uh, they admire a gun, but uh, I'm opposed to I went hunting once, and uh, what I did to the pheasant, I've been ashamed ever since. You know, that's funny, officer. Uh, I had the same thing happen to me. I, When I was a kid, I, I went hunting once in my life, and uh, I had a 410 shotgun, you know, which is a small-gauge shotgun, but I'll tell you this, I... I uh, Oh, you bet it'll do the job. And I, I had a terrible feeling because I was out this day hunting with my uncle. The first time I ever did it, and I popped a rabbit. And uh, I have never forgotten it, and I've always felt funny about guns ever since. You know, I, I spent three years in the Army uh, carrying an M1. And uh, I, since that time, I have never felt uh, I, I, guns just give me a really bad feeling deep in my gut I, I don't know you have the same feeling definitely, definitely it's funny and other people don't seem to have that and I'm not trying to say I'm a I'm a I'm any more peaceful than the next guy but some people are attracted to guns others are repelled and uh, I have I've had bad feelings about guns I I, 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 you know, I don't think many people, do you agree with this officer, have actually seen anybody shot by a gun uh, in, in person, really? Uh, no, most people haven't. They see it on television. It's so different in real life. That's for sure. I, uh, I was in a barracks one night when a guy in the next barracks uh, had a uh, service 45. You know the 45, the service uh, 45 automatic? I'm very familiar with it. Bad weapon, by the way. He had it out on the desk. He was a CQ that night. As you know, CQ carries a 45. And uh, nobody quite knows what happened, but they were playing around with the gun. He and this other guy were just uh, apparently having uh, some kind of a game. And the gun went off and hit this guy right between the eyes at about a two-and-a-half-foot range. And I don't have to tell you what the scene was like. That's right. And uh, they usually copper jackets, too. You bet. <laughs> That's quite a thing. But... Um uh, there's uh, uh, many points, too. Of course, uh, if the figures were ever to come out on how many illegal guns there are around this town, uh, the public would be shocked. And I, I think they would definitely demand you know, some kind of action to, to pull these guns back or to slow down the flow of guns. Well, I hope something happens. I think uh, within uh, 10 years, maybe 20 years, people are going to look back at our time and they're just not going to believe that people had as many guns around as we have. Well, we're rapidly approaching 2,000 homicides a year. Now, this doesn't include people that OD uh, or uh, fall down in front of uh, subways. These are 
knock-down, drag-out killings. Mm. And that's the kind that we count in our department. The American general will count uh, other types of violent deaths, which are not homicidal, but he'll call them, uh, you know, he'll, he'll by his uh, statistical, uh, maybe yeah. three more hundred or so. But uh, it's, uh, it's approaching rapidly. 2,000 a year. We're approaching 2,000 a year in New York City. No no question about it. We're up, uh, we did uh, 1,700 in, in this past year of uh, 72. They did about 1,400 in 71. And it trails off as you go back. Do you think, uh, officers, since you've uh, dealt with a lot of homicides, uh, do you think that, that the... Now, of course, this is a question that's been asked so often, and I'm just curious to get a, a professional's answer on it. Do you think that the, that the attitude towards killing on television and in the movies has affected people? Definitely. 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 No doubt in my mind. I, I've, I've seen many things reenacted, and uh, the violence is uh, projected by these things. Well, any, any fellow uh, remembers, uh, like I, I was a kid back in the 30s, the same as yourself, I mean, how many times did you see a Western in your aunt or the candy store to get a 15 or 25 cent cat pistol to imitate the uh, uh, the movie you just saw? Or you come out sticking your chest out and, you, you know, you're thinking that, you know, you're identifying as they didn't say in those days, but with the hero. And uh, But this carries over to a, a certain element in our society that's uh, a little bit of, uh, should I say, uh, they're not um, exactly the highest of intelligence. And uh, they can't come across in words and impress people with their words they can only impress people with their violence yeah and uh, all too often it goes the wrong way and they're often it's often often coupled with being impetuous that's interesting that's uh, one of the combination that's the first time i've heard violence and uh, homicides related to ego oh yes where the guy wants to say, look, look at me, I'm groovy, you know, and bam. Uh, the, well, that's right. I mean, we've had silly, the silliest homicides. I mean, we've had here in Manhattan where a fellow had uh, uh, come in on a Thanksgiving day and uh, uh, he took a look in the, uh, this is the East Village, uh, took a look at the turkey that was being cooked and he started to pull on one of the legs and it started to fall apart. The woman that was cooking got mad and she took a knife and she stabbed and he was dead for a turkey leg. Oh boy! Uh, I had one myself. Uh, what do they say when you bring them in? Do they do they do they well, stick with? It's a strange thing, uh, Shep, on that. You know, uh, people will uh, sometimes, quite often, they'll uh, they'll start to, to go to sleep, and uh, the more inexperienced uh, police officers will come around and say, "Look at that! He just killed somebody. He's falling asleep." But you know what it is? It's a it's a reaction on the body that, in time of great uh, uh, fear, and they start to go into shock. Something else happens. The body, in order not to let it go into shock puts itself into a, a deep sleep. And that's that's fascinating. fascinating. You know, I've never... comes with experience, though. Well, that's interesting. I've never seen that in any film or anything where the guy, after he's committed a murder, falls asleep because of a shock. Well, this is a, this is a common thing around the station house where they, they start to doze off. <laughs> and uh, where they're sitting in the corner waiting for the investigation, you know, at one point, and uh, you can have uh, uh, many facets of the investigation going on, and you don't actively engage him in conversation during many of these times, but you're still active in it. Yeah. And as it progresses, uh, he, and he's out on the side, he starts to doze off, because uh, quite often it's a case where a fellow's uh, about to go into shock at the realization of what he's doing. Do you watch uh, police shows on TV like The Rookies? Can't stand them. <laughs> Can't stand them. In other words, uh, Adam-12 ain't the way it is. No, no way. <laughs> no way at all. But uh, I, um, I, I, um, the fact that... Uh, 
I don't uh, I don't watch that much TV myself. Uh, my tastes uh, run in the direction of uh, English movies uh, because they're, they're very true to uh, the actual situation. You know, I have to agree with you. You have tastes very similar to mine. You know, I have a friend who's a doctor who uh, says anytime he wants, a, wants uh, to get a good laugh, he watches a medical show. He'll watch Dr. <laughs> Marcus Welby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. officer. Thanks uh, for calling. Uh, yes, uh, there was one other thing, uh, yeah. Shep. Uh, sure. Do you remember that, um, that lead soldier from uh, Hempstead when you were signing your books? I do indeed. That's the same one. Oh, uh, fine. I'm glad to hear from you again. Yes, and uh, thank you very much for your time. And, and, you know, thanks for the honest appraisal of everything that you do. Thank you. Up. Everything's been working fine. Yeah, I'm so sorry those fellows didn't come back. So long, Good officer. Bye now. How's that? Well, that was interesting. There's a, there's a detective who's been involved in a 1,000 arrests and 5,000 assists, and he's seen plenty of homicide. Did you hear what he said about uh, crime shows? Okay, let's see what we got over here. This is fascinating. Yeah, hi. Hi, Shep. Yeah, this is the sergeant here. Yeah, what's up? Ah, nothing much. I uh, work in the West Village. Oh, yeah. So what the, what precinct? The 6th. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, we have a call box at 9th Street and 5th Avenue that picks up W.O.R. <laughs> you mean... Yeah, it picks up the station. You just walk in and pick up the phone and you can hear us, huh? Yeah. I'll be darned. Well, how do you like working in the West Village? I like it quite a bit, but uh, recently it's gotten a lot worse. Uh, how long How long have you been down in that area? Five years. How do you like being a policeman? Uh, I love it myself, but I see the uh, area deteriorating. You know, it's uh, the people who live there are very nice, you know, but uh, it's just like a big uh, rip-off area for the transients, you know. Yeah, now you you say you've been in that area five years. How long have you been on the force? Five years. Five years. Well, you, you've uh, <laughs> you've had an interesting precinct. You know, one other point. Uh, did you hear the other calls I got here? Yes. What did you think of them? I agree. Not much to say about it. Do you think crime is getting worse in your area or not? Oh, definitely getting worse. Uh, the criminals have no fear. They know nothing's going to happen to them. Are they getting younger or older? Younger and uh, bolder, you know. Hmm. Do you have much violence in your area? Oh, yeah. They well, have bands of uh, kids now that just go around ripping people off. and uh, They catch them and uh, they're out. Well, didn't you, uh, didn't, uh, in that area, wasn't there a shooting recently down on... Uh, 12th Street and Greenwich Avenue, yeah. Yeah, well, what about the one on... Uh, on the Hudson there in that store. There was one on Hudson and 10th. Right. Bought from the station house. Yeah. What happened with that one? It's just an argument, and uh, the guy came back a couple minutes later with a gun. Shot four people. Oh, wow. Anybody killed? Yeah, one man. Mm. Did they ever get uh, a line on the guy? Yeah, they got a good description and a composite sketch, but uh, hey, I don't think he's been caught as of yet. Well, uh, as a... <clears throat> Excuse me. I got a little feedback here. As an officer now, do you, are you going to make a career of it or not? Oh, certainly. Well, is that true of most policemen? I mean, do they look upon their job as a career or as an interim between going into something else or what? I'm just curious. Most of the men are pretty dedicated. and uh, You know, they're out there and they want to do a good job, but uh, the, it's just like the public's attitude. Is, uh, they seem to be against you, you know. They uh, grind you down after a while. 
What's the most curious uh, case that you've ever been involved in that uh, sticks in your mind as one of the strangest ones? Strangest? Yeah, just a curious, strange uh, case. Well, there's probably a lot of them, but uh, last summer we found the head in the garbage pail. Great, and, uh, Scott. Ninth Street. On Ninth Street? Uh, <laughs> just ahead. Oh, that's one they didn't make into an Adam-12 episode. <laughs> Do you watch many crime shows on TV at all? I watch, uh, I watch them all. I think uh, the most realistic is maybe the Adam-12, but that's a little, you know, uh, goody two-shoes. <laughs> that's not quite the way it is. Do you think that television has contributed much to violence? Oh, yes. These... Uh, Shows, you know, where they just show someone pulling a trigger and the guy falls. You know, these kids see that and they think that's all there is to it. Yeah. You know, they probably don't, you know, wouldn't know what it's like to see someone. Yeah, they've never them. seen a guy hit in the chest with a right. forty-four. Yeah. Well, like uh, you said that story when I was in the army, the CQ blew his brains out. And, uh, you, know. you had that happen to you, too? Yeah, it wasn't a pretty sight. No, that's exactly what happened to me. I was in the uh, in the tent. We had pyramidal tents. And right next to us, the uh, the the uh, orderly room, and I heard that thing go off. And I'll tell you, I flew off my bunk about six inches, and I've never forgotten it. Okay, officer. Okay, sure. And uh, happy beat walking. Okay. All right, okay. Oh, I know. Well, that was. Uh... <laughs> now I don't know. You know, you can spend your whole life talking about crime and getting nowhere because it's a basic uh, quality of man. You know. In fact, have you ever read Crime and Punishment? Uh, that's still a very valid piece of work. The uh, fine line between a non-criminal and a criminal is uh, often uh, so fine as to be indiscernible. We've got it in all of us. There's not one of us out here tonight, and I don't care who you are and how much you believe the opposite. There isn't one of you that isn't capable of murder, isn't capable of killing, isn't capable of every conceivable thing that uh, man has pulled in the past. Uh, most people will never do any of these things, thank God. Some can't stop. It's just like heroin. Incidentally, uh, one of the officers pointed out off the air that crime is also habit-forming. It gets to be a supreme form of kick, which is not discussed much either. Crime for the fun of it. <laughs> it's not necessarily economic. It's fun, you know. It's kind of groovy. Well, that was crime tonight on WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the news. He comes up next. This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the news. This is the news in detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom. The federal government got its man today on a tax charge. Reputed big-time underworld leader Agnello De La Croce was convicted by a Manhattan federal court jury of evading $68,000 in federal income taxes in 1968. The prosecution accused De La Croce of getting by the taxes through hidden stock deals. And the government said he was one of the most powerful organized crime bosses in New York State, the underboss of the reputed boss of all bosses, Carlo Gambino. Also convicted with Della Croce were Michael Catalano of Manhattan and Martin Goldman of North Hills, New Jersey. 